but I started to write down 10 things I'm thankful for every day because I was over-focusing on what I lost and what I didn't have, and my mind would go in the ditch. Welcome to Pencil Leadership. I'm Chris Anderson, success and lifestyle entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help you realize your full potential so you can leave a positive mark on the world. So if you're ready, take out your pencils and let's begin. Booker T. Washington said, success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome. And Muhammad Ali said, I hated every minute of training, but I said, don't quit. Suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. This is episode 121 with former professional soccer goalie, now pastor, Jesse Bradley. And we're gonna hear how he almost died in Zimbabwe to overcoming that adversity and seeing the positive in life. So if you're going through some hard times, some adverse moments, this episode is for you. And if you liked anything you heard, make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. For me, I was a basketball player and the soccer coach saw that I had maybe some goalkeeping potential. So he brought me in. And a lot of times in America, the goalkeeper is the one who doesn't want to run or the biggest guy or something like that. But I loved it. It was a great fit. And I started learning. Our coach was outstanding. He was one of the top coaches in the Midwest. And I was teachable. Just started, if it, whatever you're doing, if you're starting a new career, if you're starting, you know, just trying to figure out a field or a new skill, find a mentor. And because I had such a great mentor right away, he just started pouring into me. And we won in Minnesota the state championship. It was back in the Metrodome, you know, five, 6,000 fans. And we won a couple of those. And then I went and played at Dartmouth College on the East Coast. And the, again, the coach there was phenomenal. Bobby Clark, Scottish legend. And we won the Ivy League twice. And I just knew from age three, I was watching the University of Minnesota Golden Gopher games. And it was all different sports, you know, hockey, basketball, football. I lived in an apartment complex in the parking lot of the football stadium. So it was golden gophers, you know, all the time, maroon and gold. And I told my parents, when I grow up, I want to play sports. That's what I want to do when I get old. And so it was a childhood dream come true to play. You know, back in Minnesota, uh, some of the guys I played with, they now run the Minnesota United. You know, Manny Lagos is, is the head uh, of the club there. And then I played overseas in, in Scotland, Aberdeen which actually made the Minnesota winter feel kind of balmy in some ways. Really? Just being outside, Aberdeen in the winter is constant wind, constant cold, constant rain. And as a goalkeeper, you know, you're just sitting there and it's, it's, it's so cold, so cold. Uh, still feel some chills when I describe it. But then Zimbabwe was the exact opposite. And Zimbabwe, I mean, tremendous um, just people, skills, uh, in terms of soccer field, hospitality, love, intense challenges there with drought and, you know, AIDS and famine and so many difficult situations for even kids going through school, not a lot of jobs. And so I saw a, a component that I've never seen before. I mean, I've heard about property. I've heard about, you know, young people dying, but I never experienced it firsthand. But played there, Highlanders Football Club in Bulawayo. And I had a great experience there. And, and then that's when my career ended tragically after that. But uh, yeah, so that's maybe the next question. I don't know if you want to yeah. dive right into that. Well, but. I, I, I do. And we're, we're going to get to that. What kind of ended your career, unfortunately. But so you play in Minnesota, you played in Scotland, you played in Zimbabwe, and you kind of hit on a little bit with Zimbabwe, just the the different kind of lifestyle and the mindset and, and the kind of how the people were. But So did you see a big 
a big difference from the Midwest to Scotland to Zimbabwe as far as people and like their approach to life? Absolutely. I think you learn so much when you go to a different culture or if you go overseas. And, you know, the Minnesota mindset is it's that Midwest heartland, like hard work and straightforward, like direct. All right, let's go. And a lot of, you know, pretty strong morals. And and then going over to Scotland, it was rugged. It was competitive. You don't get a lot of hugs in Scotland. You don't get a lot of compliments. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're going in there with thin skin or you're going in there and you're kind of insecure about this or that, like they'll find it. They'll say it. I mean, I remember having a bad day at practice and them just saying, ah, is there a goalkeeper here today? Is there a goalkeeper? <laughs> you know, and you'll just get that all day. And so, but there's love under there. There's warmth in, in a Scottish sort of way. It's I love the people there. And I um, miss that culture. You know, in, and I would say in Scotland, it was like a, a toughening in a good way. And I mean, you, you talk about, you know, pencils need to be sharpened. And I feel like, man, that was the sharpening. That was the, all right, can you put it in? Do you have the skills? Do you have the mental toughness? Because sports and especially goalkeeping is in between your ears. That's where the battle is. And if you overthink it or if you're too hard on yourself, if you won't let go of the last mistake, if you intimidated by people, if you're scared at all, like you're going to see that as a goalkeeper. And so Scotland was kind of like having a big older brother. I was only an only kid my whole life. And this was like a big older brother showed up and it was like, all right, you're stepping on the playground with the big guys now. So um, loved it and uh, learned so much, grew so much. And then uh, Africa, I would say from the minute I got off the plane, I had this sense of people were so glad I was there and genuine smiles, genuine joy. If you go into a home, they're gonna give you whatever they have. If they don't have hardly any money, they're gonna bring out the nicest piece of meat for you. And it might be a little mystery meat, but uh, it's still, I mean, they'll give you whatever they have and they, um, I will tell you they're so glad you're here and they will um, just make you feel welcome and at home. And, and they're just feeling so honored that you came so far to be with them. And what that, what that taught me was that circumstances can't have too much power because I thought in America, we have so much and yet we're not often as hospitable, as generous, as grateful and, and don't have this. They would sing for joy. You know, we would tutor students a couple hours a week and they would just be singing for joy in the classroom. And I thought, you know, don't give your situations too much power because these are choices, gratitude, love. I mean, these are choices in our relationships that no challenges should be able to stop or block. And I saw that lived out in Africa and that will never leave me. That was just wonderful. And the game is different too. Whereas in Scotland, you know, there's hard tackles and, and you're challenged and it's physical. And then in Zimbabwe, there's more flair and skill and you know, you'd have defenders trying to make moves that only forwards would make in Scotland. <laughs> if you're in the back, you know, you probably shouldn't try to nutmeg somebody. And, you know, but in Africa, it's like the joy of the game. It's flowing. And uh, it was fun. So that's awesome. And it's it. It's really it's it's crazy because um, even going to like I've never been to Africa or anything, but but Mexico and and then I've been to Europe and China and it's like you get so much, like, I don't know. It's what do you think brings about, like you said, Zimbabwe, they're just joyful and, and happy and, and so uh, hospitable. Like, where do you think that comes from? Yeah. For different people, it's different sources. 
But, uh, you know, I'm someone who's in the church. So in the church, I see people who know they're loved by God. I mean, there's just a resilience and there's an overcoming spirit. You know, for other people, I think love's the most powerful thing in the world. So for other people, it's love in the community, in the family. In Africa, there's a really great sense of we, even more than me. It's a great sense of we. And when there's strength in the community and people have each other's backs and we're in this together, uh, sometimes I felt that in the Minnesota winters, you know, when <clears throat> there'd be a snow day and a couple feet of snow, it's like, all right, who on the block needs help? And if it's not just during a, an emergency and a snowstorm and a blizzard, but if you carry that out into every day, I mean, we could use more of that in America, I would say. And, and so um, cultures are powerful, they're set. Uh, I feel like sports reveals culture, sports reveals mindset, sports reveals attitude, sports reveals character. And so a lot of it is revealed on the field, but uh, beyond the field, I, I would say it starts with love and community are the most two powerful things. And, and then I think that when it's passed down and that's what you have from generation to generation, now it's got some momentum. And now you don't have to be a, a trailblazer, but you've seen this culture, you've seen how your parents respond, and now you're going to continue with that. Yeah. And I, I don't think some of it has to do like with lifestyles. We're like in America, we're super blessed. Like yes. even, even at like some people who have a lot of hardships compared to other countries like Zimbabwe is still in a better situation here in the U.S. compared to Zimbabwe, so I think, uh, I think they just realize the 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 frailty of life more there, mm -hmm. possibly, and and yeah. again, like you said, the community, and so they're joyous and they're joyful in those, you know, any little thing, yeah. um, and so that's really neat to see. Uh, but but kind of now we can kind of dive into that. So you're down in Zimbabwe, and uh, you had this traumatic thing happen that I want you to kind of kind of break down for us what happened, but uh, this was kind of a pivotal moment in your life, not only like physically, but in a lot of other areas, right? Definitely. And for anyone that's listening, if you've had life going one way and then all of a sudden it isn't going that way anymore and you can't change it. Uh, I took a prescribed medication to prevent malaria and I wasn't even aware of side effects. The doctor didn't mention it. I started taking it every week as prescribed and for many months. And eventually it built up toxic levels in my system. And I started to notice some crazy stuff happening, like dreams were crazy, migraine headaches, which I never have. I couldn't handle any light or any noise. And it's like, where is this coming from? And then I noticed my heartbeat and it would just start racing. And it was tachycardia, which is uh, even up to 160 beats a minute while I'm sitting still. So it felt like my heart was just beating out of my chest. I started having some double vision and emotionally things started to change. I had a very, I'd say my equilibrium was, was really solid. And now it was emotions I never experienced before, like panic attacks and depression, like in a wave of depression that's like, again, it was so new for me. And the doctors there didn't know what was happening, but they saw the deterioration of my condition. And so they said, you've got to get back home while you can. And they sent me back home and I, for about eight days, could just barely move. And we paid out of pocket, went to Stanford, and the doctor there listed 10 possible scenarios, 10 possible causes. One of them was the drug. And there was something inside of me at that point where I just knew that was the problem. This was the drug. And so uh, the physicians all told me to keep taking the medication for another month because they didn't want me to get malaria on top of what I had because that could be fatal. And so I had a huge decision to make. And that's where, you know, for me, going to prayer was important because I 
just ask God, what do I do? And the doctors didn't know. And the doctors were saying, keep taking the drug. But I thought it was the drug. So I chose not to take it for the last month. And we had my blood sent to Center of Disease Control. They found toxic levels in my system. They confirmed it. Not taking the drug probably saved my life. It really wow. did. And Toxic uh, levels. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off yeah, there. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, are, are you meaning toxic levels of the specific drug or, or a specific part of the drug? Or Yeah, the drug is a half-life. It's mefloquinilarium. Okay. It's quinine-based drug. Half-life of a month. So it doesn't leave your system quickly. And the drug also didn't agree with my system. So the fact that it was, you know, loading up in my system and really just poison for me, and it's a pretty controversial drug. There's been a lot of people who have suffered under it, but I didn't know that. And a lot of people, you know, you're just doing life and maybe you aren't aware of a challenge or a threat, or here's one, what's supposed to protect you is actually destroying you. And that can happen, you know, sadly, parents can be abusive. You can have a boss, you can have a lot of even people in a certain role that you think are going to protect you, but they're, they're destroying you. They're undermining you. And the drug was killing me. My physical heart was the most serious symptom, not only the tachycardia, but atrial flutter, which is an abnormality in the rhythm, pretty serious. Skip beats, heart murmur, pain in the left side of my chest day and night. And I just didn't know if I was going to make it. The doctors didn't know. And they couldn't give me any prescriptions because the drug was already, it blocked my inhibitors, which means I couldn't regulate my heart, couldn't slow it down. And so they couldn't put any additional drugs on there because they didn't know how it would interact, like if my heart would just shut down. So I had to endure for a year. And that was just one symptom. I mean, even things like driving, too sensitive. My heart couldn't handle it because any stimulation would send it over the top. So I couldn't drive. I had to relearn how to drive again after a year. Uh, I started to chart for walking, you know, being finally able to walk 10 minutes without my heart beating too fast. And then months later, 20 minutes and just trying to celebrate that. But I started to write down 10 things I'm thankful for every day because I was over focusing on what I lost and what I didn't have. And my mind would go in the ditch. And so I wrote down, okay, today's a hot shower. Today was a good meal. You know, today I slept a normal amount, you know, I walked 10 minutes and I'd write those down every day. Uh, and my faith started to take off. Um, it was out of necessity in a lot of ways. I, I'd say, here's one for people to think about. What's your go-to coping mechanism? When life is hard, what's your go-to coping mechanism? And mine was persevere, do better, try harder, get better grades, do better in sports. And here I had nothing to improve. I had nothing to just, I couldn't persevere through this. It was, it was massive. Like eat an elephant, where do you start? And, and I didn't like grieving. I didn't know how to grieve. And, and it was so new for me to a couple of things, let God into some of those disappointments and pain. And I just felt like ugliness in my prayers, not just be intellectual or theological, but actually pour out my heart. And that was new in that relationship. And then let other people in because as an athlete, I was always go for it, perform well, step up, don't show weakness. And this is all about letting people in to some of that and sharing it. And then what, what will they think of me? And that was new relationally, but that was the only way to go, start to give God some burdens and cares, let people in so they'll walk with me through this, this time of trouble. And it took 10 years to fully recover. And, and one of the things God did, did was redirect me into ministry, which I never saw coming to be a pastor as well. I thought I'd be a goalie till I was 40. Goalies can play a long time. And, and so that was my plan. And, you know, like a lot of people can relate where you've got one plan. Okay, this is my life. This is when I'll get this job. This is the job I'll do. This is where I'll live. This is when I'll get married. This is how many kids I'll have. And you put all that out in your mind. You have these expectations. Then when life brings something that it's like, okay, uh, 
I, I like the phrase plan in pencil because uh, I, I think that so much of life is changing so rapidly and we don't have ultimate control. And, and if you're someone who likes control and, and I'm bent that way as a goalkeeper, there's a sense of control. I know my teammates, I see the opposition, I got the best perspective, like let's keep the ball out of the net. And, and this was one where it was like, if I'm a goalkeeper, I've got 10 shots coming at me and there's no way I can save them all. And now what do I do? So it, it was the worst of times, but I believe the best comes out of the worst circumstances. The best experiences so often does. And I believe God does his greatest work in the most difficult days as well. So uh, yeah, I know I'm kind of weaving my faith in, it isn't really a faith podcast, but I'm just trying to paint a picture of the leadership in terms of the vulnerability, the transparency, and just the different levels, whether it's the physical, relational, I believe even spiritual, there's so much the intellectual to leadership. And, and when we're leading, it's not just like doing a task, it's who you are and who you are on the inside. You can't fake it, it's gonna be authentic, and it's gonna flow out, it's gonna overflow into whatever you do. and so. The leader within, and and I guess maybe that's the pencil too again, but the leader within, that's the most important part of leadership because everything's going to come out of that. Yeah. So I get, I, and I'm sure on on this this 10-year kind of healing process, and you kind of alluded to it, uh, there are probably ups and downs. It wasn't just a continuous, you know, upward, upward trend. I'm sure you had some kind of roller coaster moments, right? Yes. You know, leadership and growth and, and even healing, it's very rarely linear. On, on a graph, we'd love to just say, oh, there it goes, 45 degrees, it's climbing. But the reality is, is like you go up a little bit and then you drop and there's this valley that's even deeper than you thought. And just when I thought I made some progress uh, and just when I felt like, okay, my heart will stop skipping beats, then all of a sudden it comes on in a flurry and you know I'm back in the doctor. Tachycardia, I think the racing heartbeat's gone. And then it just out of nowhere comes. I had psychological stuff, like there would be some suicidal thoughts that would fly in, panic attacks, like all this is from the drug. And just when you think like you're in the clear, here it all comes back again. And it wasn't like there was a certain trigger. It was just completely out of control. And so uh, trying to endure that in waves is intense. And uh, especially when you feel like, are we done already? Like this is your four, like I should have my strengths back and the doctors can't tell you. And sometimes in life, people can't tell you, you're gonna have this, it's gonna be better at this point. You're just charting a path that's uncertain. I mean, as an entrepreneur, there's no guarantee. Like, are you gonna make it there? Is a the finance gonna come in? And you're just, feels like going alone sometimes, but going down a road, with not a lot of like clear markers. But uh, I think that um, when that's all happening, it's gonna come back to your foundation. And I just felt like if my foundation is on the rock, we're good. But if the foundation's on the sand, this thing's gonna blow up, you know? So it's it's foundation stuff when when you go back and things regress in certain ways. For sure. And, and you, you allude, I mean, prayer, your faith there was a big part of getting through those valleys. Uh, you mentioned, uh, writing down gratitudes or, or 10 things you were thankful for. Were there any other things or uh, actionable uh, items that you did to help you kind of stay positive or at least help you yeah. um, kind of get out of those valleys, a part of those two? Right on. Because habits are transformative. Habits are life-giving. And they're small intentional actions that have massive results. And uh, some of the basic ones, and I know a lot of people in their 20s, they can just kind of live how they want, do what they want. But because my health uh, had, had really faded in so many ways, I knew I was fighting for every scrap of health or energy. So I did some basic stuff and that's uh, sleeping well. 
And, and I feel like sleep is kind of like, it's the thing that a lot of leaders overlook and, and, and boy, you're at your best when, when you've got sleep. And so I made sure I was sleeping well, eating well, you know, I wasn't like super, I, I didn't measure calories. I wasn't, you know, like overly aware, but I took enough nutrition classes through, you know, college as an athlete. I knew enough that, um, I knew it would make a difference. And so I started to eat healthy. It's kind of funny if you eat healthy, who kind of slams you? But it, it's like, hey, I got to do this, you know? And and so exercise was something that um, I, I've just got to do whatever I can do. I got to be as active as I can, even if it's just some sit-ups, even if it's just 10 minutes of walking. Like, I've got to keep moving forward in that direction. For me, I started to memorize some Bible verses. And I, I talk about the battle of the mind. And you know, I think that what was coming into my mind was often discouraging, destructive, would lead to despair. And I believe there's the power of the second thought that you can't control the first thought that comes in, but you can choose the second thought. And so I had some stuff. And for me, it was some of those verses that I would write down. And uh, one of them was literally whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. And, and I would take that and I was to start to say it and think about it, sometimes write it down, memorize it. There were other ones, you know, about um, being loved because I, I didn't feel too special. I didn't feel like there was a lot of hope in my life, but but God is with me. He won't leave me or forsake me. I mean, those were some of the things, but you can take whatever those sentences are that are true, that are good, that are going to build you up. And then that's what you take. And when you start um, focusing on that, then you're not that first thought that comes in. You're not going to harbor it. You're not going to entertain it. You're not going to believe it. You're going to reject it. It's not for you. It's not coming from a good place. And that discipline, it was like I couldn't do the sprints. I couldn't work on my distribution. You know, I couldn't do that other stuff. But there was this new discipline of I've got to guard that space between my ears. I got to win the battle of the mind and I've got to be intentional, especially with that second thought. And those habits right there, I mean, many years later, it's like, those are still my life, you know, reading the Bible each morning, praying. I mean, those those things of exercise, eating healthy like that, that became how I was going to do life. And initially it was out of a need to, you know, there's habits that are like I want to and there's habits that I need to. And these were I need to. And when we need to, we're so teachable. I mean, that's like you're ready to dive in. You want to own it. You're motivated. You you see the difference it's going to make. But when I saw the fruit and the difference, it's like, why go back? And, and I think that's the case with good habits. When you see the impact and you see the fruit, it's like, why would I go back? Why would I do exactly. something different? And so, yeah. And once you keep doing it, it's easier kind of to get back on the horse when you do have those days where you, you miss or you slip up and it's uh, just creating that kind of just that routine. It's like, okay, hey, you know what? you know, give yourself grace and be like, all right, we're back on the horse yeah. tomorrow. And I, I liked what you said about like, you have that initial thought, but then if you're, if you're building these, if you're thinking about these verses or you have positive affirmations or, or whatever it is, when those come into your mind, you can be like, Hey, like, no, like we're stopping it right now. We're going to stop that kind of train mm -hmm. and get onto these positive, positive, thoughts versus, you know, sayings that that'll help you kind of get back on track. That's right. You know, there's a sequence there, um, unconscious and conscious, you know, and then also incompetent and competent. So the first part in these four stages, the first part is you don't even know what you don't know. And for me, in terms of thinking, you know, that's not something you teach in school. That wasn't something I, I picked up from anybody or parents. So all I knew is I was getting beat up with my thoughts. 
and and they were just tearing me down and and so to start to discover that well at least i'm aware now the the next stage and now you move into the positive there is now i'm starting to and it, it feels intentional it doesn't feel normal but i'm going to choose some things i'm going to focus on things and eventually that habit just becomes unconscious competent you know and so as it moves through the spectrum then you get to a point where it's like i'm not even thinking about it i just know when that thought pops in this new thought's already in and it's sports is like that i mean goalkeeping i didn't know what i didn't know and then oh i'm aware of what i don't know I, I better start to get going here and then it's a little weird to think okay w catch the ball with the w i've never done that before but then it's like the shots coming at 70 miles an hour, not even thinking, oh, get the W up. I'm just, it's yep. there, you know? It's like and muscle memory. It can all memory. be taught, yeah. That's it. And and it's true for, I believe, the habits. It's true for much of life. And that's the sequence. And uh, when it when it's there intact, you don't have to think about it. It's starting to come natural now. Then you've done the work. You've done the heavy lifting. And there's a new path for your life. Absolutely. And so like during that, just your, that those 10 years of healing, you're implementing these habits, you're starting to see the improvement uh, and the change in direction. I, I guess this is maybe a two part question. When did you realize like you're kind of out of the woods, like, okay, like I'm going to be good. But then also like, you know, I have a new direction with my life. Uh, it's not going to be soccer mm -hmm. uh, anymore. So like, when did, when did that kind of click? Like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be kind of quote unquote, back to normal or, or healthy again. And then yeah. um, I got a new direction to go. Right. It was gradual. You know, I went to seminary, I went to school because I never grew up reading the Bible. I came to the Lord at Dartmouth College and it was an introduction to world religion class. And so, uh, I mean, the professor wasn't a Christian, but he assigned the gospel of John and changed my life. I, I had a story on the outside that looked successful, but the inside something was missing. And it's like, ah, oh, I got this living water. It, and so I went to seminary because I didn't know the Bible. I, I, I had volunteered, served at some churches, intern, but then um, I went off to grad school. And even during grad school, I was still a mess, to be honest. I mean, one guy called me Limp Biscuit. That was a nickname. I mean, I was just struggling. And I, all I knew is at least at grad school, it was mainly cognitive and so it wouldn't be as taxing and demanding because I tried to step into some different jobs and I just couldn't handle it physically. I'd wear down, get strep throat, you know, have to stop there. And, and so it wasn't until um, after grad school, which was four years, and then it was in Iowa, University of Iowa, go Hawks. And, you know, I, I came up for a weekend there and honestly, I didn't even know I was for a college pastor position. I didn't even know if I physically I was going to be able to make it through the weekend. I, I didn't know how that would go. So it was a big leap for me and I made it through that weekend. And then that first year, I would say something clicked, something changed. And I just started to feel like myself again. I started to get my strength back. And if you haven't had it and for in a long time, you haven't had health and you get it back, it's just like, wow, here we go, got options. Like the menu isn't small anymore. Now the menu is getting bigger. Like I can do more stuff. And uh, what I realized and came out of that is that every day is a gift. Every single day is a gift. And you don't take it for granted if, if you've been through, if you've stared death in the face, you know, it's like, you don't take it for granted. And I realized it's a gift if I'm in my right mind because I was fighting for my sanity for so long. It was a gift if I have health and strength. It was a gift if I could help anybody. And so I just knew uh, starting to come back, you know, it's it's a gift. And and I want to make the most of the opportunities because I don't know how long I'm be able to do it. I don't know how long I'm be here on the earth. I don't know if this drug is going to waste my liver someday or I just don't know the path forward. So I'm going to make the most of the opportunities. And, and that's how, you know, stepping into ministry, it was something I didn't see, but 
if you love people and you love to help people, uh, for me, I saw so many people at University of Iowa kind of showing up similar story. It was like me all over again. And if you've been through something and you know what something tastes like, and I knew the emptiness of just um, trying to fill my life with, you know, grade sports parties, but on the inside, not really having contentment, not really having a deep joy. I knew what that felt like. And now I get to meet people who are asking the same hundred questions I was asking about God and about, and, and then meet needs like in the community now in Seattle, whether it's you know, caring for a marriage that's struggling or providing food and food giveaways, uh, teaching. I, I just love the full range. And sometimes in life, you don't even know, uh, let's say the gifts that are in you, you don't know uh, until you spread your wings. You don't know that actually there's a certain position that's gonna be incredible, but um, that fit right there. And, and I'd say it's a discovery process to be enjoyed. I say with an appliance, you go to the maker because the maker knows the appliance. I'm not a handyman. Our dishwasher just broke. It's like, okay, uh -oh. <laughs> let's go to the maker. Let's find out what's going on. And uh, I believe we're all made wonderfully and we're all made with so many talents and gifts. And that discovery process, it should be one of um, people are affirming you. Uh, you're taking risks. You're going to step into things that are bigger than you. But uh, you're going to find those strengths and those talents that you have. And when you use them to help other people and you discover why you're here on earth, I mean, that is so rewarding. And you wake up every day. I wake up every day excited to do what I'm doing genuinely. Uh, and, and I don't even drink any coffee. It means it's just I wake up and I love to do this. And it was something I never saw coming. And so I encourage you, if it's just right now a hobby, a side hustle, something you're checking out, thinking about, take those risks. It's hard to steer a car, find a mentor, get some experiences, start volunteering and watch what can emerge from that. Because when your passion and your purpose connect, and, and for me, that passion to help people on the inside in the deep things of their well-being, their mindset, their hope, their faith, um, to go there on the inside with people and see healing there and to see people come to life there on the inside. I mean, that passion and then connect that with purpose. And I get to do this every day. Uh, I mean, that's just wonderful. That's wonderful. That, that's worth the the discovery process. I'm, I'm curious, do you have any, and I, I know you're with a lot of different ministries, helping a lot of different uh, churches and, and groups within the area out there in the Pacific, um, you know, uh, region. Um, do you have any big projects coming up or ideas that you're kind of get, getting the wheels turning in motion that you're excited about? I, I'm wired that way. You know, what's yeah. the mountain? What's the next big mountain? Let's take yep. it. Me too. Uh, my staff would probably say, could you have a few less ideas this year? <laughs> you know, because it just starts percolating. Uh, one thing I love is I believe collaboration is instrumental in business and in ministry partnerships. The longer I'm in it, the more I say that's what it's about. That's how we're going to go further. That's how we're going to learn from each other. So we have about 100 churches and ministries that are united together, looking out for each other. And I just love it that instead of weirdness or competition and misunderstandings, there's a spirit of unity, camaraderie. When someone plants a church, the other existing churches are looking out saying, what can we do to help? Do you need Bibles? Do you need chairs? Like, what do you need? Can we, you know, we pray for you, financial help. And that's such a difference. I mean, I just want everyone to step into that environment. And that's what we have in the Pacific Northwest. It's really growing in the major cities right now. And, and I believe, you know, that's 
And though that's hard when money's a driver in business and there's competition, but when there's a true spirit of, well, who can we help? What can we do with what we've been given? And, and, and we're learning from each other, bringing out the best in each other. I mean, that's true in marriage. That's true in siblings. That's true in business. I, I think when you look around, you say, how can we um, really uh, encourage? How can we create an environment, a culture that's so healthy? And, and that's what I see happening. That's one thing. Uh, you know, during COVID, uh, I've seen that in America, faith can't be compartmentalized. You got to break out of molds. You got to do some myth busting in whatever field you're in. And for faith, a lot of times it's one hour, one day, one building. It's like, no, blow that thing open 24 seven, the home, what's happening in the home, may it be vibrant. So that stood out during COVID. And then uh, media, uh, you know, before COVID, uh, you know, we had some stuff going on and now it's just opened up. It's really opened up. I mean, Chris, I see what you've done in the last, you know, just since the pandemic and your business and, and, but I mean, now I'd say we're reaching millions. There's people around the world and it's like, we're connected in places like Pakistan and it's stuff I never saw coming and it, it's phenomenal. So I, I want to bring hope to people. And for me personally, honestly, I was in kind of that Christian bubble echo chamber. Uh, without even trying. And I think COVID, it was like, wait a minute, I want to connect with people from all different backgrounds. My family spiritually is like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors. I mean, we have uh, atheist, agnostic, Jewish, rabbi, ex-Catholic, Catholic. I mean, just a full range. And uh, I just love people from all nations and cultures. That's what's happening in our church too. People coming in from different nations and cultures. And I love that. And so I'm, I'm taking some risks. I'm learning. And uh, I, I, you know, podcasts are something that's increased recently too. So um, I love stories. I love hearing people's story and uh, connecting in that way. Absolutely. That's awesome. And, and yeah, I think it's just a couple of things, just a collaboration. Just we can't do it alone. No man's an island. You know, in, in college or my freshman year, we had a saying within our dorm is where we go one, we go all. Mm. It's like it's all nice. about, you know, being together uh, and working towards a common good, a common goal. And, and that's loving one another. And then I think, yeah, I think media can play a big part in that in a positive way. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, anything can be used for negativity. Uh, but if we can really harness that and, and see the gift that it is. Yeah. Um, we can really make a big difference. So it's really cool to see that you guys are taking that path and doing that out there. Yeah, it's like the printing press of our day. And and when you can connect in person's best, but when you can connect with people that are other side of the world in meaningful ways, and even on Zoom, I mean, there's tear shed, there's deep sharing. I mean, I've seen my own family. We started in Zoom gathering all the time because we're spread out around the country. And there was something that happened during COVID where we would you know, gather every week on Zoom. And it's like we were in each other's lives in a special way. So uh, there is there's a lot of potential. And for such a time as this, I mean, it's a unique time in history, what's laid out right now. And I, I don't think it's going away. So I, I see a lot of people fighting it. But really, I'd say um, there's great potential and discover how it works for you. Don't, don't, you know, don't become kind of servant to to media and technology. I mean, you can pick up your phone and it can be a vortex of eight hours later, you come out of social media. It's like, what just happened? I, I mean, but still look at, you know, what your goals are, have a clear picture of what you're doing and why, and, and then set limits on it. But it's an incredible tool. 
Yeah, I agree. That's that's awesome. It, it, it's how you use it. You can get in the endless scroll hold or you can use it for for gain. And that's one reason I put actually on my my desktop browser is a, a blocker. So if I'm on Facebook, I literally am just getting on to do what I need to hmm. to, to reply to messages. So I don't see all the feed. Yeah. Uh, so I don't get lost in that. But that's um, wise. Yeah, just 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 some great points and, and great story and just perspective on life and and, and seeing the blessings in adversity hmm. uh, just with what you've been through and being able to just be a light to, to those other people um, who are going through hard times or, or trying to get to a different level in life. Um, so we really appreciate you being on and sharing that. I do have one kind of wrap up question I ask my guests and it has to do with the fifth trait of pencil leadership. And that is that pencils are created uniquely or, or made for a purpose uh, to leave a positive mark in their own special way. And so with that being said, when uh, everything is said and done for you here on earth, what do you hope your positive mark is? Hmm. Yeah. And that gets to both what's most important in our lives and also gets really to the challenges we face in our lives too. And I, I'd say on the vulnerable side and the challenge side, you know, I've got a, I have four kids, love our family. Um, we, we adopted one boy, love my wife, love spending time with my family, but I'm also passionate about what I do. And it's a challenge every week to not just come home and bring home the leftovers, you know, and and I think at the end of my days, it's like how because only one person can be husband to my wife. Only one person can be dad to my four kids. There's a lot of people who could teach on a weekend. There's a lot of people who could counsel, you know, and so in that unique role, God gives us all roles, I believe, and some are unique that only you can fulfill. And I just want to make sure at the end of my days that um, I was authentic. I was the same person in public and in private. And uh, and it was just such a strong love and connection with my family, um, not just the people that I serve through, you know, what I'm doing as far as church and other um, roles there. So that one is probably close to home. It's 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 daily. It's weekly trying to figure it out and, and do it better. You know, let my wife know when I'm coming home today, you know, at the exact time or plan a schedule for the week or get the one on one time with my kids. So it's not all together or go out on dates or, you know, those kind of things. So that's um, something that probably takes some intentional work. And I'm just always trying to figure out uh, big picture. I, I no one told me how much God loves me and what I would say is I just want everyone to know I'm not there to force people or twist it. I, I just, but some people just don't know that that's a part of love and that some people think everything's horizontal. And I'm like, no, there's a vertical that's so powerful and you receive, you don't have to strive and be good enough and earn it. It's grace. It's an undeserved gift. And it's about the heart relationship and receiving. So that message right there, just that there's hope with no limits for people who are going through hard times. There are hope, when there's hope with no limits. And I, I just think um, the challenges we face don't have the final say. And so um, when you find that hope, then you start to raise up other people too. And, and then it gets to be a movement. I just love to see a movement in our country, unity, hope with no limits, a love, and just a closeness with God. That, that would be amazing. Cause I don't think it's going to happen just in our own strength. And so that, that kind of shares the heart of what I'm all about. Such a great mission to be on and, and you're doing it. I mean, your, your results, what you're doing, your actions show that. So um, for, thank you for leaving a positive mark on the world. Um, where, where can people reach out, get connected with you, um, find out more about what you're doing? 
where's the best place for them? Yeah, we've got a website we just put up during COVID. That's kind of a theme here, something new, uh, jessebradley.org. And on that website, there's free resources as well. There's a marriage, a strength in your marriage, hope in the marriage. We've got videos with discussion questions. You watch a short video for a couple minutes, and then you can talk about it with your spouse. There's other stuff on the website, but connect with me on social media. I love it when people reach out and just keep the conversation going. Awesome. Yeah, guys, definitely get connected with Jesse. Continue to watch his journey, what he's doing. Um, Again, though, Jesse, thank you so much for being on Pencil Leadership today. Chris, I love the risk you've taken and your wife as well. And I know you're expecting a child, so there's lots of new stuff. But, you know, you sense that there's a need and you took a risk. And Pencil Leadership, I mean, that's so good for every leader. And then also with podcasts and Uh, So just keep going that direction and you're going to know any adjustments, mid-course directions, plan and pencil, but uh, you've got the gifts and the heart and the focus and just keep going the direction you're in right now. You're trying to grow your side hustle or your podcast on social media, but you feel lost. Well, don't feel lost any longer with how to engage with your audience to get the most out of your social media posts. Get seen by more people, get more interaction, and improve your relationship with your following. I'm giving you my free, proven, targeted engagement process. Just go to pencilleadership.com backslash engage. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well. Now let's go out and be pencil leaders.